Join me in praying. Father, as we take time now to look into your word together, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive, you would open our minds to understand, and Lord, you would encourage and change us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. This morning will be a combo sermon teaching. And I want to start with something that my kids might groan a little about because they only have three days of school left. And I know they are ready to be out of school. I want to start with the abbreviations of states. So if you've ever looked at this or thought through it, some of these are really easy. California, C-A, first two letters. Colorado, C-O, first two letters. Florida, F-L, first two letters. Some of these are really easy. But then you hit something like M-I. It's Michigan, M-I, but you also have Minnesota, Mississippi. What are those? Well, now you go from one and two to one and three, M-N-M-S. But then, as you're moving along, you run into Missouri. You can't have another M-S, so it can't be one and three, but it can't be one and four either because the fourth letter is an S, so it's one and five. Then you hit P-A. Patricia, pancake, um, no, Pennsylvania. It is not one, two, one, three, one, four, one, five. It's one, nine. And P-E is open. Like, I think this was put together as some giant elaborate joke to make grown adults feel like morons because we can't figure out abbreviations of states. But I have a two-letter abbreviation for them, BS. (laughs) You know, Bachelor of Science. Oh, you guys were thinking one in five, weren't you? Get your minds out of the gutter, church. Why do I start with this? Because I feel like the simplicity and yet complexity of abbreviations, it is a little bit like the will of God for our lives. Have you ever struggled with wondering, what does God want from me? What path should I take? What choice should I make? Today, I want to talk about the will of God. And I want to answer a couple of simple questions about it. I do not pretend to take the next 30 minutes and give you the perfect explanation of the will of God and you will leave going, I got it all. But I do hope it'll be a little more clear and you'll have a little more direction on where to go. The will of God. Here's my first question. What is the will of God? Like when we talk about that, what do we even mean when we talk about God's will? In its most simple form, God's will is what God wants to happen. It's what he desires. His choice, his, if he could have anything, this is what it would be. That's his will. And when you think about God's will, it can be played out in two different ways. God's direct action, for example, God's desire was to save our souls. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God took action. He gave his son. 
God's desire is also to redeem not just us, but creation. So God will form a new heavens and a new earth. That's God's direct action. There's also God's will done through the agency of another, primarily us, as those made in his image. So we know God wants certain things. He says, for example, thou shall not commit adultery. And yet, is adultery still committed? Absolutely. Paul writes, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I don't know, that might apply to earlier when all of you were thinking something about BS. And yet, does unwholesome talk come out of our mouths? Yes. God's will is his desire for something. And yet, he has both the action he takes to make something happen, and, and this is what's important, we must understand this about God's will. Part of God's will is that you and I exercise our will to conform it with his. In fact, if you line up what comes in priority, God is allowing a whole lot of things to happen in his world that he doesn't want because he wants his people to exercise their wills to conform to his. So, as you think about this, I want you to think God's will is what God wants to happen, and yet, sometimes God is causing that to happen, and sometimes God's will is that agents make choices to do his will. I ran across this the other day because I like history. There was a fragment of a writing that John Hay, one of President Lincoln's White House secretaries, found and preserved. He wrote this a couple of years before his second inaugural address. If you know the second inaugural address, you'll recognize portions of this in it, but I want you to hear what Lincoln writes. The will of God prevails. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both may be and one must be wrong. God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. In the present civil war, it is quite possible that God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. And yet, the human instrumentalities working just as they do are the best adaptation to affect his purpose. So can you hear his struggle? It's a similar struggle that I think all of us at some point we worked with. I can remember being a teacher at Trinity Christian Academy in one football game. They asked me if I would pray for the team. They were playing another Christian football team. Who's God going to root for? I mean, can I pray and God goes against one Christian team? I mean, and that's Lincoln is really struggling with how does this whole thing work out? But he recognizes the human instrumentality. Let me keep going. I am almost ready to say that this is probably true. Can you hear all that? I am almost ready to say it is probably true. Isn't that how we struggle and wrestle with this? 
that God wills this contest and wills that it shall not yet end, but um, by his mere great power on the minds of the now contestants, he could have either saved or destroyed the union without a human contest. Yet the contest began, and having begun, he could give the final victory to either side any day, yet the contest proceeds. There's the struggle. Trying to understand, okay, so I got it. I know that God's will is what he wants to happen, and yet I don't know what he wants to happen. And I keep looking at different things, and it could be this or it could be this. And which Christian football team does he want to win? Who's the better Christian? And is that what God cares about? I mean, all these thoughts. So here's my second question. How do we actually figure out what that will is? If what God wants is to me to exercise my will to conform it to his, what is his? I want to give you two things. Number one, be open and humble. Be open and humble. We need to understand that God's will is not as simple as we might think it is. I'll I'll try to demonstrate that to you here. So there are very explicit things revealed in the word of God. God's known will, right? For example, thou shall not bear false witness. Thou shall not commit adultery, right? Those are explicit. And yet, I want you to think about thou shall not bear false witness. The midwives in Egypt lied to Pharaoh. They bore false witness about what was going on, and they were praised for it. Rahab lies, and twice in the New Testament, she's held up as a model of faith. My point is this. I don't want us to question God's word. I don't want us to think it can mean anything we want it to mean. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I also want us to recognize, even his explicit will is not always as straightforward as it may sound. When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, we know what that means, and yet Jesus comes along and says what? If you think lustfully, you're committing adultery. Wait a minute. You've just totally changed the category. It is not as simple and straightforward, which is why we need to be open and humble as we approach this. Now, some things just aren't addressed. For example, do I take this job or that job? Do I continue in this friendship or is it time to break it off? Should I move or should I stay? Should I go back to school at some point and earn another degree? How about this? Once I forgive a person, how do I best relate to them going forward? When I'm selecting a leader, how do I select the best leader? That's what's happening in the Acts passage that was read. They're selecting a leader. How does that happen? Or... And this may not be the greatest thing for you all to hear if you're an Anglican like I am. What's the best polity or structure for the church? We have bishop, priest, and deacon. Now, all of those are in the New Testament. And you can definitely defend how we set up the church. But you can also defend different ways of setting up the church. We're not the only way. And you can go into scripture and see that too. You know what else you don't find in scripture? There's not a single place in scripture that says, here's the job description for a priest. And then it just lays it out. We're doing the best we can to interpret both 
scripture and also our tradition. It's not always straightforward, so we need to be open and we need to be humble. In the latter part of the 19th century, when the Methodist church was holding its denominational convention, a leader stood up and he shared his vision for the church and for the society. And part of his vision, as he told the ministers and those who were there, is he believed that someday people would not just go on horseback or buggy, they would actually fly from place to place. And as he said that, some were, yes, some were, no. But one minister stood up. His name was Bishop Wright, and he said this, heresy, flight is reserved for angels. And he went on to show in scripture how we were never going to fly. And then he left, and he went and picked up his sons, Orville and Wilbur, and headed home. Most of you know who they are. They are the ones who invented flight for human beings, his own sons. Never be overly dogmatic about what you think your interpretation is of God's will. Be open and humble. And secondly, approach it as a relationship with God. Think with me for a moment, and you may not be able to answer this, and that is okay. Most of our scripture, the majority of it, is written in a particular genre. That genre is not rules. It's story. The majority of scripture is narrative. It's telling stories about people. And the first story we get is Adam and Eve, and the story is not the fall. It is, it is not good for man to be alone. He was made to be in relationship. Remember, man is created in the image of God. And God is a trinity. Do you know that God is in relationship from all eternity? So creating us in his image means he made us for relationship. Then you have Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's all about relationship. It's their relationship. It's their relationship to God. It's God wanting them to exercise their will to conform to his. Do not eat of this tree. You can have everything else, but I want you to follow me. But it's all relationship. You can describe God's great campaign throughout the Bible to have relationship with the people that he made. Why did he send Jesus? For God so loved That's why he sent him, to bring us into relationship with him. So finding his will, it is a matter of relationship. You can't just go find a bunch of rules and laws. It is a matter of knowing him. To give you an idea of, of, I think at times it's easy to think of our faith as, I mean, and, and we are, we're people of the book. This is a really important book. And yet more than a people of the book, we're a people of God, And we're in relationship with him. And it's really easy to kind of make it just this thing here. And not that, he's my father. I mean, even how he defines himself. He uses the language in relationship of father. I came across something that I think really epitomizes what it means to think about God as a real person, a real father, and relate to him in that way. 
And it even kind of tackles this idea of God's will. I'm going to read a couple of them to you. These are from seven to 10-year-olds. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear mommy, God says all, um, dear, dear God, mommy says all babies cry, but I don't think baby Jesus did. You must know the answer. Will you please write me back? We have a bet. Dear God, are you a ninja? Is that why I can't see you? Dear God, I wished upon a star two times and nothing happened. Now what? Do you hear they don't think of God as just like this distant Santa Claus somewhere? It's like they're just talking to him. Will you write me back? That is a childlike faith. That is a relational kind of thing. And I love that last question. Like, now what do I do? Open, humble, I'm just looking to you, but I'm looking to you. So, let me just kind of rehearse where we've come. God's will, what he wants. But sometimes he does it, and sometimes God says, I want you to do it. Well, how do we know what it is? Number one, be open and humble. Number two, treat it like a relationship. Learn who God is. So that is actually what happens in Acts. And I'm not going to take time right now because I've already used most of my sermon. Um, I'm not going to take time right now to go through that whole passage. I want to point out a couple of things. If you want to know how do you get to know God, how you get to know him relationally, they do it in this passage in the book of Acts. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 1. You can go back and look at it. It's the second half of that verse. It's where they are choosing a new leader. And here's what you see them doing. If you want to know who God is, and the best way to know his will is to know who he is, to know what he loves, to know what he desires. If you want to do that, number one, pray. They are praying a ton in that passage. They are praying daily. They are praying together. Once they make a choice for the leader, they pray for the leader. I mean, they just, they pray and pray and pray. We need prayer. It's how we come to the Lord and present ourselves to him. It's how it develops that relationship. If you want to know more about prayer, I did a five-week series on prayer. Go look at it. It's all about relationship with God. Number two, devote yourself to the scriptures. They do something that if you go look it up, it's weird. So here's what Peter does. Peter stands up among the crowd. They've been praying. Peter stands up and he quotes the Psalms. And he quotes two different psalms. And, listen to this, he quotes them completely out of context. You know what proof texting is? It's where you just grab a verse and then you make it say what you need it to say to make your point. That's what it looks like. I mean, on the surface, it looks like Peter chose these two random verses that make his point. One of them says, this guy has left us, talking about Judas. And one of them says, let's replace him with another person. And you go back and you look at those two psalms, and at first you'd be like, Peter, that had nothing to do with what's going on with Jesus. Why are you quoting this? Like, you're giving us the justification just to go proof text the Bible however we want. And yet, if you read it more carefully, what you will see in there is in the first one, he's talking about an evil person who has left. 
The overall context of the psalm actually fits in their situation pretty well. The second one talks about another evil person who has left, and yet another leader needs to step in there. So Peter's not quoting directly something that was about his situation. Listen, he knows the scriptures so well that he understands how this is parallel to this. He understands how this kind of plays in to this over here. You see it with Jesus when he's being tempted. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy two different times against the devil. And if you go read the quotes, they are not direct things. Jesus isn't quoting scripture like somehow by saying the scripture, it's like a magic formula. And the devil goes, ow, you've hurt me by saying the scripture. It's nothing like that. He understands the context so well that he knows it's parallel to what he's going through. He thinks scripturally. He looks at the world scripturally. So does Peter. So does Paul. As you read Paul's letters, he not only quotes scripture, he constantly alludes to the Old Testament because it's just part of his thinking. I want you to know the scriptures so well that they are part of how you think because the scriptures are the revelation of who God is. You want to know who he is? Know his word. Not so that you can memorize it and quote it to people. Not so that you can proof text some point you want. But so that you understand it so well, it's how you think. It's how you look at the world. Because that's how God looks at the world. And the last thing they do is they do it in community. We need each other. Nobody here is smart enough by themselves. Some of you are pretty close. Most of us are not. We need each other. They do this entire choosing of a new leader within a group. They're praying together. They're talking together. They're doing it together. We need each other in the Christian life. Knowing who God is is best done within a community of others. Okay, I'm done. You made it. As you think about God's will, I want you to think about these things. Number one, there are things that God wants. Sometimes those things he does. Sometimes those are things he's going to allow not to happen, but his will is that you and I would make those choices. Well, how do we know his will? We come to him open, we come to him humble, and we come to him relationally. Get to know our Father. And we do that through prayer, through scripture, and through the community of believers together. That pathway creates a way forward. It creates a way of us living into God's will. And I know, like the abbreviations, it's a little bit messy. Um, It's not perfect. You know, sometimes it's one and two, sometimes it's one and three, sometimes it's one and nine. Who the heck came up with that? But that is how it works. And God's will is a little bit like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word where we see who you are. We see who we are. We see your love and your character. Lord, sometimes your word is a little hard to understand. Even Peter talks about Paul's words being hard to understand. But Lord, we know that through your word, we come to know who you are. 
We know that in prayer, we draw close to you. We know that in community, you reveal yourselves because sometimes we need to hear from somebody else. Lord, help us to be open. Help us to come to you humbly and in relationship that we might live into your will. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.